Well, good day, everyone, and welcome to today's College Sports Communicators live webinar. We're pleased to offer this session on working with football statistics and stat rules. We thank you for joining us for this important session as we're in the heart of football season. And as we discuss ways to assist CSC members in all areas of preparing to be a game day football statistician and the games rules and statistical rules you need to follow. Our presenters today are leading college football and professional statisticians, and they are here to offer their thoughts and expertise and take your questions throughout today's discussion. As we welcome your questions at any time, please place them in the chat function of the Zoom. Reminder that this is not a how-to training on using stat software programs like NCAA Live Stats or Presto Stats. This is about the actual uh, work involved in statting college football. So. Without further ado, my name is Ira Thor, Associate Vice President for University Communications and Marketing at New Jersey City University. I'm a former 20-year SID and former board member, and on Football Sundays, the crew chief and head statistician for Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets. I will serve as the web webinar moderator for today. As a reminder, we are recording this webinar, and later on, it'll be posted on both the CSC website and YouTube page. So you can watch it later on demand. Please also invite any uh, CSE colleagues who have not been able to tune in live to listen and watch this later as well. So we have a lot to go over and to get started. First of all, we appreciate everybody joining us today. We have a great group of panels today with years of experience. Let me quickly introduce them. First, Scott Fishman is a genius sports business analyst and the game day stat crew director for Brent Harris's Indianapolis Colts. Stan Granch is the stat king of Los Angeles, where he serves as the head statistician for both USC football and UCLA football. John Painter is a legend in our business. He has served at three different levels, so he has a plethora of experience. He's currently at NCAA Division III with Maryville College in Tennessee, where he is the assistant AD for communications. And everybody needs a friend at NCAA headquarters. And we have a great one today with Jeff Williams joining us, the NCAA Associate Director for Media Coordination and Statistics. So thank all you uh, gentlemen for joining us today. And we'll, we'll dive into uh, our, our discussion. Um, and I think the good place to start is the personnel that you need to keep stats at different levels, right? You know. I'm obviously blessed at the uh, NFL level where I have seven people that are able um, to be assigned to me on game days. And I throughout this, well, I'll mention some things that we do that actually can be used at the college level where the staffing levels are obviously much less. But how about we talk about first, what do you need uh, to be able to do your job as, as a statistician? Some of it people may know already, but some of it they may not have thought of. We'll start with uh, start with Stan since you get two teams. <laughs> well, I have two big teams, so I'm blessed like you um, at the you know staffing like the NFL. I've I've got myself. I call the the entire game, uh, especially the offensive part. I have you know the college game moves very fast, so I have two guys helping me on offense. I have two guys helping me on defense, and we have two guys that just do participation. And then of course we have the computer entry. Um, we just throw everything on pencil and paper because the computer sometimes gets a glitch, gets behind. When we had an old, the older program, it just deleted the whole game and we had to start over. So I actually have something called a drive chart that I can reproduce the game uh, from start to finish. Um, so that's something that I do, but, uh, staffing wise, I'm blessed. Uh, you know, like I said, I've got eight, eight people that, in my case, everybody's got 10 plus years of experience too. How about John, since you have certainly worked at three different levels and seen all <laughs> kinds of staffing needs? It was, it was fun. It was fun uh, watching, you know, stand type operation work, you know, when, at Tennessee. And we obviously supported that, you know, with, uh, helpful corrections here and there, you know, maybe misidentifications, especially when we were on the road, you know, since then at Colgate and now at Maryville, you know, we, we're, we're doing the best we can. We don't have the benefit of a big staff, but we do, we do take advantage of the uh, practice runs and the preseason. That's always been super helpful to us. 
<clears throat> when we're starting new folks. And, uh, you know, we, we're there doing the best we can. Our, our goal is to be the most unbiased, you know, press box staff in the country. That's what all of our goals is. And uh, we want to have, oh, thank goodness we're at Maryville today because they'll be, we'll be taken care of there. And so that, that's just what we shoot for every day. That's some, it's simple, I know, but that's, that's, that's my first, first priority. And that's an ultimate compliment when somebody knows that they can go to your, your school and they'll be well taken care of. What about tools of the trade? Obviously, um, depending on where you are and if you're in a bigger stadium, you're further away. Binoculars, I, I, I think we all stress this. You know, a lot of people think that they could just sit there without binoculars and, and they'll be fine. But particularly on tackles where it gets very tight in there, it's an underestimated tool that is uh, really helpful on game days. Yeah, Other I think tools. definitely. Sorry. Yeah, I think definitely on game days too, especially again, knowing all these press boxes and everyone's trying to sell suites in these days. Sometimes they've moved the stack crews to the end zone and you don't have a good view and you're going to have to use binoculars. Yeah, we all want to be at the 50 yard line, but we know that that's not always possible. So, whenever possible, again, have some binoculars and then use video. Again, we know most games are streamed, but not every game is streamed. But Having that video replay alongside you right now is a key valuable component to have. So I'll describe what I have in the NFL. And obviously I don't expect this to be um, at the college level, but um, while I'm our crew chief for the Jets, we have both an offensive and defensive caller, which I think is the basics that every college uh, game day staff should have, right? You shouldn't have the same person watching offense and defense. There's just too many things that could happen. Um, as was mentioned by Stan, um, we call it the scribe is important because, you know, technology does go down as good as genius is and uh, stacker before it is, it does go down. So it's important to have that. And something as it was just touched on with video that I would personally recommend, um, we have in the NFL a live DVR, so I can, you know, rewind and fast forward and, and really dive into to the nuances of each play. But I think it's helpful, as just mentioned, that every game is basically uh, streamed now at every level to have, even if it's a student that um, may not be calling, sitting there, the game is on seven to 10 second delay, watching every play that is not plain as day obvious, particularly on the tackle side or, or on the target side sometime. So you always have somebody who's keeping an eye on it and during a dead ball can say, hey, I think it was actually number 15 on the tackle and can show you where it is. Um, that way you're able to stay alive in the game, but also have somebody watching uh, for, for potential problems. How do you guys handle participation during games, and how do you handle double numbers, not double numbers, which obviously are the bane of a lot of our existence? Yeah, I have 135 on my roster, so I've got a few double numbers. Um, I, we, I don't have the benefit of participation help usually, uh, so that's just really working with coaches the next day uh, that, you know, and that's like that on the road. I don't usually get to go on the road. Occasionally I can, but with home events, I can't do that here at this level. Uh, so it's just working with your coaches and working with the home SIDs and knowing that on Sundays, hey, we're going to get our participation straight, you know, and and letting your coaches know that, hey, you know, don't be changing numbers on me. You can't change numbers on me. We've got to stay with these numbers. I understand we have a, a lot of players, but they've got to stay in those jerseys and, and let me know if they need to change because I've got to change it about, you know, five or six places. And so just having that relationship with the coaches. Stan, Scott, Jeff, before we jump into our next topic, um, just any, any other follow-up uh, advice on crew setup and key uh, equipment pieces to consider? Yeah, one thing I would say, just to you know, and I and I, I know I'm not always on the front lines, although I've done my fair share of of statistics, both uh, you know around here in Indianapolis and 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 elsewhere. But um, you, you hear a lot of uh, a lot of this conversation, and we're talking about offensive callers, defensive callers, you know, scribes and things like that. And I know a lot of people maybe don't have that kind of staff, but a lot of times what you can do is have somebody, in, in some ways, double up on some of that. Maybe your caller can can write down. Uh, can, can be the scribe as well, especially if that caller really knows the software and knows how to input the software. They can shorthand a lot of that information um, and just write down what it is that needs to be entered. 
um, so that if you do have to go back, um, you can enter that. So, so I, you know, don't don't be afraid of those kinds of things of, uh, you know, making that offensive caller a scribe or or making your defensive caller, um, you know, write some things down as well. Because I think I think it, it gets a little scary when you hear some of these, you know, some some people have a lot bigger uh, crews or whatever, but not obviously not everybody has that same. Um, same aspect of being able to have that many people. So there's certainly ways to get around it with, with fewer people. I've, I've done it with as few as two people. Um, certainly two or three is better. Two's a challenge because like, uh, uh, like Ira said, it's better to have somebody watching defense um, by themselves, uh, but certainly um, it, it can be done. It's, it's, it's not uh, impossible. So. Yeah. When I first started doing this 23 years ago, first game I ever put it with just, me on input and Joe De Benedictus from Sidearm as the caller, and we got through it. It's not ideal to do it with two, but um, I think in today's world with Genius, with so many things that we have to be entering, I think the minimum that should be on any game day is three yeah. um, offense, defensive caller, and inputter. We do have uh, a question I do uh, want to uh, answer, uh, and I'll turn this one over to either Scott or Stan. This is uh, from uh, an attendee wants to know, how do you handle duplicate numbers, especially when the visiting SID doesn't indicate which one is offense and defense? Ooh, okay. Um, most of the time for us, duplicate numbers tend to be an issue on special teams because you're trying to guess which two that was or which seven that was. Um, but then... You know, some teams have the number or the name on the back of the jersey. That's certainly a blessing to try to catch that. Otherwise, you try to look at the description. You know, hopefully one guy's 5'10 and the other guy's 6'4, mm -hmm. so you can sort of figure it out that way. Um, uh, then you're just making your best guess sometimes. I mean, I, I, at the Division One level, everybody's pretty much identified if they're a defensive back or wide receiver, but that doesn't necessarily help me on special teams. Um, and yeah, we definitely rely on the visiting SID to tell us which number two that was, um, you know, and I tried to have that conversation with them before the game, like, hey, you know, we're going to make some guesses here. And if you if you heard we made an incorrect guess, just tell us, you know, so, yeah, if the, if the visiting SID is not helping you, you're already off to a bad start. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> Yeah, and I think something else you can do is, and I had this happen to me over the weekend, is I had a game where the starting long snapper was number eight. The backup was also number eight. So like Stan said, I went to talk to the SID, and I'm like, your coach made you do this? He's like, I tried my hardest, and we understand that. But again, luckily one was 6'5", and one was 5'8", so we were able to figure it out. But it also helps, too, when at the smaller levels, when the visiting SID is not there, go talk to the visiting radio broadcaster. They're a great resource to be there because they know their players just as much as the SID does, sometimes even more when guys like John can't travel. So make friends with the radio broadcaster. Talk to them at the end of the quarter, at end of halftime when they have their break. You can usually figure out who it is. And have the visiting SID's cell phone number handy for calls and or text messages uh, for more immediate answers yeah. if you need it throughout the game. Uh, we'll move on to our next topic, which is, uh, communication with the NCAA, Jeff Williams, couldn't think of anybody better than you for this. Can you talk about what is needed as a football SID, what you need? Yeah, I mean, for us, the biggest thing is, is, is uh, you know, planning in, up front. And, and I would say um, this probably goes back to the duplicate number conversation that you're just having, too, because um, that could be helpful, too. You know, there's duplicate numbers for that opposing team. You know, the SID is not coming. You know, maybe have a conversation with them ahead of time to get an idea of who those are. But but from, from our standpoint, a big thing is probably the biggest thing, the thing that we spend the most time uh, in communication with or or having issues with uh, that schools reach out to us about is is making sure the rosters are up to date in our system, making sure schedules are up to date, game times are up to date. Um, that's a that's a really big uh, a really big component for us. Um, if those things are you know, if the roster is up to date. Um, obviously it's going to, you know, if you're using the NCAA live stats, the genius system, um, uh, that's going to make it that much easier for the school on site. Um, uh, if you're not the host, if you're, you know, if your opponent is, is hosting that game or if it's a neutral site host, it makes it a lot easier for them if it's up to date in the NCAA system, because obviously it's being fed there. Um, you know, post game wise, uh, making sure that the information is submitted, finalized, 
Uh, I think we're going to talk a little bit later about post-game edits, so I won't get too much into that. Uh, but but just making sure those games, uh, you know, get finalized, get submitted, even if it's just uh, getting on and, and checking to make sure that we, we receive the data. Um, that's really helpful. And uh, a couple other things I would mention. Uh, we have a stat manual for, uh, you know, for every year. Um, if you're not aware of it, www.ncaa.org slash statistics um, is a place to start to get that stats manual. Uh, print that out. Have that handy. Take a look at it before the season, especially if you're new to doing football stats. Um, things as simple as uh, that may seem as simple as spotting the ball. Uh, make sure you understand how to spot the ball that, um, you know, if it's on the yard line, um, that's the yard line that the ball is on. But if it if it's in between yard line, it always goes to the next uh, advances to the next yard line. Making sure you understand those things, those basic concepts, obviously is going to make it a lot easier when you get um, when you get in front of it. Because if you understand the basics and all you have to worry about are those, you know, those uh, those plays are a little weird. Um, you're already at a, you already got a good head start. So I would say that's that's probably the biggest thing. Making sure you get the, the things done up front, schedules, rosters. Uh, that sort of thing, and then making sure that you've done some some legwork to kind of really understand the basics of how to do the stats uh, would probably be the next thing. And John, before we jump into some of the scoring uh, topics that we want to get to, can you just talk about um, as uh, a visiting SID in a game, uh, what you send to schools uh, regarding travel rosters, particularly when you have a roster that could be 130 or or yeah. greater, as we know happens quite frankly. For sure. We play at Brevard this week. I've got a my word roster, as I said, is 135 players. So when I get the travel roster from the coach, I will send Brevard a shortened roster, word roster of, what, 70, 75, whatever. That's going to eliminate a lot of the double number issues, a lot of them. And there will be, still be some, but not nearly as many. So uh, I'll, I'll send that to them as part of the little packet I, I send them with our stats and some notes and stuff like that. Since I, especially like I said, especially since I can't be there, um, but yeah, that's that's going to be super helpful. And the same with the NCAA. Be a good citizen with the NCAA and have your rosters updated. I mean, you know, Jeff's smiling, but it's it's one hundred percent right. I mean, if you do that, then when they open it up there at their game site, you know, you're good to go. So there's no no mistakes. And one other bit of advice that I'll give, just because I've been there, um, have backup internet. There are times where uh, your internet will go. It, I can tell you it has happened at MetLife Stadium yeah. in the middle of a giant injection camp that the internet goes out. So if it could happen at that level, it could happen anywhere. Um, right. Have backup internet, particularly when you're using something like Genius, which is obviously internet-based. If the campus Wi-Fi, the campus hardwire goes down, have a backup plan that you're ready to deploy pretty quickly. I, I and it could be as a hot spot or your cell phone. That's a, that's a that's good idea. I want to add one thing, Ira. Uh, another thing I send, and I didn't make this up. I saw this, but that's a great thing, is I send to my home SID uh, what to set for the cheat tabs, you know, the, the little part in there in the NCAA Live Stats. I say, hey, here are my quarterbacks. Here are my running backs. Here are my sack leads. You know, so I try to send that to them so that way they don't have to grab my stats and try to guess. That's just a little, it's safe. It's probably saves them two minutes. So we'll turn now over to uh, preparing the input. Scott Fishman, I'll bring you in for this part. A number of different things that we could talk about here. Um, let, let's start with um, how do you uh, test uh, in pregame to make sure you're ready to go? So, yeah, there's a lot of things I like to do. I definitely, first off, test my printer. Again, the last thing you want to do is get to the end of the first quarter and you can't print anything. Um, another thing I like to do, again, with live stats, we offer a test environment. So you can obviously switch over to that and do a test game there. Test out the clock if you're using the clock. Test out all the functionality. Make sure your roster is working. And then obviously with other stat programs too, you can make up games and put them in, test them out. Check your rosters. Make sure your rosters look the same. Obviously, in the some of the old stat programs, you had to make sure you had the right team code and stuff so it's pulling the correct roster. So you just want to make sure you have all the correct players, make sure your clock's working, your scoreboard's working, your printer's working. The internet is huge, again, depending on what program. You can also work with your live stats provider. Obviously, stat broadcast, you can do test games. Same thing with Sidearm and Presto. You can set up testing because the last thing you want to do is get to the beginning of the game and have no live stats available. And now you have both the home SID, visiting SID, and 
20 media members coming into your stat booth while you're trying to stat plays, asking you where are the live stats. How about preparing for a play, knowing who's lined up on both sides of the scrimmage once you're uh, in the game? So what I like to tell my callers here is, tell me. I'd rather you give me too much information than no information. So tell me huddle, no huddle. Tell me under center shotgun. Tell me who the running back is. If the running back changes on a play, let me know ahead of time. If there's two running backs, let me know. Now you're prepared. Again, if I hear that number and then I hear you call a rush by another number, I'm going to look up and make sure. He told me 21 was in the backfield. Now he said rush 22. So we're going to look and make sure we put that right number in there. What about entering starters? What process works best for you? So what I like to do is, again, and it's tougher these days, I think, because less teams are putting out two deeps than we used to see. Everybody used to put out two deeps. So if I have a two deep, I like to go with it. And then I'll make changes at halftime and end of game. If I don't have one, what I like to do is have my callers when each team lines up for the first play from scrimmage, start yelling out numbers. We've got 15, 20 seconds after that kickoff return before the first snap. Yell out numbers and me as the inputter, I can start circling numbers or writing numbers down. And then we can figure out later what positions they were in. And then this last uh, topic on, on inputting, um, either for you, Scott, or for Stan, uh, what other sources other than video, which we discussed, um, can you use as a resource if you're unsure about a play you inputted? Uh, it could be, you know, something on who blocked a punt or who uh, forced a fumble, stuff that's very hard to see sometimes. Well, I, I mean, I will say that there's every once in a while we reach out to the, uh, the SID to say, hey, can you call down to the field and say who, uh, you know, who blocked a punt or who tipped the pass or if we can't find it. Um, a lot of my defensive guys tell me it's normally the guy that's celebrating the most. Uh, so, uh, so, so it, by default, we might put that person, but we'll double check to, to verify that that celebration was indeed genuine. But uh, yeah, so we often will ask uh, the SID to somehow confirm the information. All right, I want to move on to a big part of this, which is recording basic statistics. And I'll bring in John Painter and Stan for this. Um, start with what do you do if there's a last-minute jersey number change or someone swaps uh, jerseys mid-game? You want this one, John? <laughs> well, uh, I, I think you have a good a good way to handle it. You just stay with the original right. number, right, if you can. That, that's, yes. If you can do that, you know that's who that was. The best thing for you is to stay with that original number. And that's best because that's also what's in the system too. So that's now right. we're not having to make multiple changes throughout. So for sure. By the way, uh, in terms of game prep, we got one great tip uh, in the Q and A from Ryan Hilgeman, who said, "Make sure that your uh, Windows updates or computer <laughs> updates are uh, run and rebooted uh, before the game starts, because you don't want that." You know, the computer automatically restarts. So thank you for uh, that, Ryan. We had that happen at UCLA a couple of years ago, right in the middle of the game. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a great, <laughs> great tip. Um, what about entering a yard line and spotting the ball? Um, and also using tools such as where the side judges. Um, you guys want to discuss that? Well, I mean, spotting the ball, it, I, I feel like the, it, this is the most important thing you do as a statistician. If you don't have this right, then everything else is falling apart. You know, you know, they're, we're blessed to have uh, every yard marker is out there. Now you're not guessing, you know, like a high school field is that the, is that the th touching the three or whatever you just, uh, you know, there are certain plays you see that like it was a big run. Was it nine or 10 on first down and they have not indicated it's first down. That's pretty easy to tell you. It's a nine yard run. Even if the ball's touching the yard line, you know, there are times, where the ball is literally on the yard line that you think it would be a 10 yard run, but you know, and the world sees it's the 43, but you're going to call it the 42 just because the ball was slightly over that. So um, you got to, and once you made your call, make your call. Don't, don't change it because the refs respotted the ball after an incompletion to two feet one way or the other. And that happens all the time. And, and don't change your call once the centers touch the ball either. Cause Every center moves the ball. And if they're a good center, they're moving it forward. Uh, so uh, those would be the things that um, immediately come to my mind is, 
you know, um, you know, we were talking about having a stat manual. I mean, I print it out. I have it electronically. And frankly, I read it every year. It doesn't change, but it's great bedtime reading. Um, and then when a play happens, I know what it is. I just know it because I've read it so many times. So that's the blessing of having done it 20 years. So, but John, what, what did I miss? Well, you missed that. I would love to be on Stan's crew. I'm telling you, that right now. you're a great crew to be on. So, uh, I, I would say, I would say, don't be in a hurry to spot that ball. Right. You know, make that all. It's got to be almost the very last thing you're doing when that center grabs it because, because they'll, how many times you see them go in there and they'll move it, you know, at the last second. You go, oh, you know. So I, I would just say, take your time on spotting that ball. Just, just don't be in a hurry on that one. It's often the last thing that I call. I mean, I see the ball on the sideline. Now, if they went out of bounds and actually put the ball out of bounds on the marker, then I feel safe calling it. Otherwise, I'm going to wait till I actually see the ball put down on the ground because too many times I've guessed wrong, and I'm just not going to guess wrong anymore. And one thing I'd like to add, and you guys can chime in with that too, is don't believe what the scoreboard operator puts up. Oh, never. Or Or the announcer. I mean, we have some good announcers, but this year he's been wrong about 20% of the time on yard lines or tackles. And it's like, uh, you know, th- it could be a helpful guide, but don't, if you're basing everything on that, you're also in trouble. <laughs> How do you guys handle if you're, um, let's say on the, if, let's say that the press box is off center and you're in the end zone or on the 10 yard line. Sure. And the ball's on the other side of the field you're spotting. I'm, I'm sure a lot of folks deal with that. How do you handle that? At SC, I'm at the tw- at one of the 20s. So if the ball is, um, you know, on the other side, there have been times where I, I, I'll have one of my guys walk it and confirm the spot, you know, if we can. Um, you know, we definitely have video at, at every SC game, so that helps confirm the call. Uh, when I was doing the Rams, we were tucked away in the corner of the end zone, and that that was brutal. The spots, the 30-yard line to the end zone were educated guesses half the time. And and then uh, we had the video on delay, so I would yell up to my scribe, hey, check that spot. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know in the end, you're just going to make – you got to do what you got. You got to do – you're going to make your best educated guess. I like to use the uh, the first down markers or yard line markers mm-hmm. to see where they're at because uh, a lot of times that's going to help me if I can't figure out where the ball is on the field. So don't, don't be afraid to look at the, the, the markers because that's what the officials are using. So, Correct. You almost have about- no chance of telling whether that ball is at the two or the one. So use that far marker, the far first down, you know, right. the, the, the ball marker over there, the official. The official will tell you where the ball yeah. is. Especially when it's not touching a hash mark and, you, and you're not sure. Is it is that nose of that ball touching or is it off? Is it the two Is it the, or is it the three? Is it ahead? So um, those are obviously examples where you're just not going to be able to see and you may have right. to rely on those other tools. Good question that came in during the Q&A from one of our attendees was, what are your recommendations when the officials mess up the spot of the ball? Because this never happens. For example, the ball was on the 35 at the end of the third quarter. But at the start of the fourth quarter, it's now on the 33, where they have a kick return, tackle it at the 43, and then suddenly in the next play, they're at the 45. Do you change that? How do you handle that? Wow. Uh, that, I mean, I've had misspotted penalties all the time. I've had a lot of nine and four yard penalties in my life, but I'm not sure that I've actually had the ball misspotted from going from quarter to quarter, like they're describing. Um, I would say the one on the kickoff is that I, I see a lot of response though. I, I, especially in the NFL, I see this all the time. The ball's put down and then suddenly it backs up a yard or two just before the, the play starts. So somehow somebody decided that no, they were down here or the fair catch was here. Um, but so that one is easy because you're just marking it where the official line of scrimmage really is miss spotting on a on a quarter i'm gonna have to defer to john because i have a feeling he's probably had this one happen to him once <laughs> we, we had a, we had a play last year team kicked off fair catch right? right at the 17 or whatever so you know the program puts the ball to 25 we have a rushing play it looks like he gains a couple yards 
I was inputting at the time. My guy goes, okay, ball's now at the 19. I said, wait, 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 why is the ball at the 19? The ball shouldn't be at the 19, it should be at the 27. And sure enough, it was at the 19. They had put it where he fair caught it. And then they threw an incomplete pass and we're still off. And then the, the coach went crazy and said, and then they moved the ball to the 27. So we were back in good shape again. Got lucky there, but I was just riding it out. I was saying, okay, we need a about a 15-yard gain here or something. But some, <laughs> you know, I need something to happen here. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think just, just ride it out if you're correct and maybe the officials are wrong, you know, because it's going to be tough on you to go back and make a lot of those changes. Uh, and thankfully, like I said, thankfully in that case, they recognized it two plays later and put the ball at the 27. Um, yeah, then you're just going to have to make your own call there whether you want to you know, back up two plays and, and start it over. And then that's up to you. But um, sometimes you just got to, you just got to keep rolling, keep rolling. And, also and I think Stan, you, sorry, I, I, I think Stan mentioned it earlier though. Like if, if you, if it's a situation where it's an incomplete pass and the ball moves back a yard or, you know, maybe it even moves back two yards or something, generally speaking, you're going to probably keep it on that yard line that it was for the yeah. previous play. So maybe that's the situation, you know, if they, if they, flip the field for the next quarter and it's, it's moved a yard or whatever, you're probably going to want to keep it on where you had it for that previous play. Um, you know, but again, like I think John and, and Stanville said, you, you're, you're sort of just going to have to do the best you can um, in that situation and, and understand that, you know, it's going to be a little bit unique situation there. So. And particularly if there's a play in between, you know, I would always trust the original <laughs> spot because um, you're going to see examples where it's first and 10 at the 10 and next, and then second and 10 from the nine and then third and 10 from the 10. So, you know, this, this <laughs> happens more often than not. Yeah. Uh, speaking of officials, um, and this was a question that came in through our Q&A, but certainly um, is a problem during game days. How do you handle penalties in particular when you cannot hear the referee or not sure what the penalty is or who it's on? I think you got to do a couple of things. Again, use not only, as Jeff mentioned earlier, you can use the stats manual, but near that page, also on NCAA.org, they'll have publications with the rules manuals and it has official signals. Have a printout of that so you can see the preliminary signal. Again, we know referee Mike's two in the wind. We can't hear them at some big D1 games because the wind is howling. We can't hear the official at all. So we have to go by, we see what the signal is from the official and then, then we'll go by that and see a mark off. And then if you have a chance later on, maybe you can see maybe the TV broadcast picked it up and you can get it from closed captioning. You can also, depending on the level of game, obviously if there's a replay official and it's near halftime or something, you may be able to go ask them and they may be able to provide you information. John, what about you? I'm sure you've run into this. Yeah, you just, like I said, there's really no, there's no great answer for it just other than, uh, we, you know, you've got to put some play in. Uh, oh, I, here I got, a, I got a perfect one. We had this past week. They said uh, sideline interference penalty on Maryville. So we inputted sideline interference, and it marked it off five yards. But they marked it off fifteen yards. So I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. So we went back. I said, you got to make it a personal foul. Maybe it was such an egregious sideline. Maybe we drilled the ref or something. So I, I changed it to a personal foul to get the fifteen yards. I needed the ball to be back at the 30 and not the 40. So that's what we just did that quickly. Made that, made that on the fly. And, and, and this is really important. Like as best you can, you're not going to, it's, it's like anything else. You can't, can't always know all the rules. You can't all know all the situations, but as much of the rules as you know, the better, uh, because in John's situation, this might be a situation where the officials got it wrong, but, but there is, there is differing levels of some of these things. So like, I think I, if, and I may not even get this right, but I think sideline uh, infractions are like the first one has one penalty, which is a warning. The second yeah. one is a five yard and the third one is a 15. So like understanding like those different, um, those different scenarios of when those penalties go into effect, uh, go into effect is, is really helpful. And again, it's hard to know all of them. I, I mean, I've been doing this almost 30 years now, and there's still some plays that, that somebody will email me um, that I have to look in our stat manual to, to interpret because I, you know, I don't know everything all the time, or I just want to confirm that I understand it. So, so don't hesitate to be willing to go back and look and, and understand it. But, but certainly knowing the rules, knowing the stat rules and things like that are really helpful in advance as much as you can. Uh, but also knowing that like the best way to learn it is to get the experience and see those situations that happen. 
Let's move on to some uh, additional plays. Uh, Stan, um, how would, would you score differentiate uh, run pass option versus rushing or a lateral versus a pitch um, right. shovel passes? Would you want to talk about um, deciphering some of what you see out on the field? Yes. I mean, uh, the RPO has definitely become a major part of the game and you have to sort of try to get inside the head of your quarterback a little bit and understand what they are doing. Sometimes it's helpful to see are the receivers even looking for a pass because sometimes they're just down the field blocking. So that's a great indication that this is a run all the way. Uh, we see a lot of jet sweeps that now are a, basically a six inch pass forward. Um, and that is a pass. And we're, we're always looking for that. Um, um, SC especially likes to throw the ball um, horizontally. So there, there's in, unintentional laterals that happen almost once a game. So you got to be alert for the backward pass. Um, uh, it's just, I think the biggest thing is what I've discovered is I, you got to keep your eyes on the field. Okay. The moment you put your head down is the moment you, you, you're, you're losing contact with the game. Um, but as far as like an RPO, you know, I'm going to make an immediate call. I, my crew knows that he can challenge me on any call at any time because our goal is to get it right. Not that I'm perfect, um, you know, uh, but most of the time to me, and I guess just because I've done this for so long and watched so, so much football and played it and et cetera, it, I can just sort of instinctually feel like, okay, you know, he put the ball down and this was a run. This is not, not a scramble. Okay. And, and there's the difference, you know, mm -hmm. was this an original intent to pass mm -hmm. Or was it a quarterback draw? So he was sort of faking it. And then again, there's another one that you have to sort of, you know, guess what, what was the intent. So uh, the biggest thing I could say is, I, I don't know how to say it other than know the game. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I, 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 I hate saying it's a feel, um, but, you know, there are, there are things you can look for. Look for the receivers. Are they even looking for a pass? Because if they're not, you know, it's a run. Um, and be aware that that little pitch forward is a pass. Okay. Not, not a, not a hand, you know, or was it a handoff? Cause that happens sometimes too, still. So you got to be careful, you know, did, did the boss, he leave his hands or not. So, um, I'm willing to, I'm certainly happy to defer to someone else who maybe has a little bit better guidance on this. No, I think well, the I, key. Was, like, yeah. The key to what Stan says is this also affects sacks. I mean, yeah. if it's not a pass play, it's a run and a tackle for loss. So if I've got a pass, now I've got a sack. So, again, go with your gut. Watch what the linemen are doing. Watch what the receivers are doing. And that's where you get your defense coordinators upset because they're thinking, oh, that's a sack. No, no, that was a run all the way. <laughs> I, had, John. I had a um, defensive coordinator tell me, oh, that was a sack. I said, well, Coach. He took the snap and he ran right into the line. He goes, yeah, because we had everything covered. And I went, no, no, that's not. Really that much I'm sorry. It doesn't. Maybe he, I said, coach, maybe he ran the wrong play. You ever think about that? Um, now, Stan, let me ask you on, yep. on those horizontal passes. Are you looking for the official to give you a signal? Or are you just eyeballing? Uh, most of the time I'm going to eyeball it. Um, if it's a 50, 50, we're, we're normally, we will try to defer to the official, but. I've noticed our Pac-12 officials are, uh, they don't have a lot of courage and they're going to say mm -hmm. a pass was a forward pass when it was definitely a lateral. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I guess in a way we're supposed to be historians, but if I, if I can plain, plainly see as day, it was a lateral and it was, if you will, a completed lateral, then I'm, that's what I'm calling, regardless of what the sideline officials said. So, And this is where video comes in you know something that i have to look at a lot in the nfl scott i'm sure you're dealing with it as well is on on these plays that are parallel with the line obviously that, that's a rush versus a pass and it has big fantasy uh implications uh, for people who play it i watched very closely maybe two three times on video where the ball was released by the quarterback and where it was caught by the re receiver potential receiver to see whether it was a, a lateral or it was a forward pass and um, a lot of times you don't have a lot to work on if it's in between hash marks. Um, something else I'll also recommend to those who are newer scorers and something that I did many years ago when I was learning football, um, I would actually watch some college games not as an SID, 
or I'm not, I'm sorry, not as a fan, but as an SID and put the scorer hat on and watched what was, uh, watched the game and then compared it uh, to, I mean, it, live stats back then were not great, but uh, to the live stats and saw how it was scored. So I could see what others did for uh, situations I wasn't sure of. And I think even today that could be a helpful tip on, you know, even on, on if you are watching the NFL game, watch the live stats, um, which are obviously very quick and see on these tricky plays, how it was scored. A lot of that is going to translate directly to the college game. Hmm. Um, I want to definitely uh, touch on another one that is uh, important in today's game, which is the intended target on a pass play, um, which can be very tricky. Uh, Stan, your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the intended target. So again, you're sort of trying, you know, if it's, a, if they're throwing it to the sideline, the question then becomes, was he throwing it away or was he trying to complete the pass more often than not, especially if it's 10 yards deep into the sidelines, that's a pretty good indication they were throwing it away and there was no intended receiver. The middle of the field, they're all, very rarely are they throwing away. Every once in a while they do, but most of the time they actually are trying to complete the pass. And uh, the hard part of the intended target often is the interception because we get so caught up, at least I get caught up in identifying where the interception took place, who the intercept, who intercepted it, that we lose who, who was the intended target. Um, uh, so, yeah, and sometimes it's challenging because if it's an overthrow or it's a throw between two receivers, was it, was it an overthrow or was it an underthrow? Right. So, um, Again, sometimes those are a little bit of a judgment call, but definitely on the sideline ones, especially if it's deep in the sidelines, that's a pretty good indication. Or, you know, maybe they just chucked it down the field and, you know, it's, you know, 10 yards beyond the receiver. But, it, you know, most of the time, though, if it's in the middle of the field, there's an intent to complete the pass almost almost always. So then you need to have a, a, tar a, a target there. But a lot of times the sideline ones, actually are throwaways so and i think to add to that obviously the ones where the defensive lineman blocks the ball right the line of scrimmage it's really hard yes. where is throwing to because the play hasn't finished developing sometimes and again that's where the benefits of depending what level you're at having replay if you can get that end zone angle and see where the quarterback's looking that may help you find your intended target we have uh, tw about 20 minutes left, so if anybody has uh, questions, continue to use the Q&A function. I'm going to ask two questions now um, before we move on to some other items. Um, and, and this one's from Eric uh, Burdick, who asks, muff versus fumble. If a returner momentarily drops the ball as he's trying to catch it and immediately picks it up and starts to return, how do you score that? Um, because, you know, sometimes it's easier as a score to just ignore the, the, the initial drop. Scott, your thoughts? I definitely go with the muff. I think of muff as you drop the catch itself and you pick it right up and go. Or you muff it right at the catch and then your opponents pick it up. To me, a fumble is after I've gained full possession and I've started my return. Most of the times when we credit muffs, you're going to see it's one return for zero yards because the muff happens at that point of the return. So that's how I usually determine muffers fumble. Dan, how about in the situation where there's a fumble recovery uh, on a punt and it hits a player running down the field. Well, uh, so uh, I guess the question becomes, is it offense or defensive player in a sense? But um, I mean, if the, it, you know, in that case, that's going to be a fumble because that was not, an, there was no attempt to, to catch the ball. So you're almost calling like a fire drill where the punt was short, hit, hit one of the blockers who was, you know, inadvertently touched the ball. So that one, I'm going to call it a fumble. I won't call that a muff because there was no attempt to to make the catch. Whether depending, it doesn't really matter who actually recovered it in that regard. But that's that to me is the ultimate. That's your fumble versus, you know, the receiver who's under, you know, the the returner is under it, drops it, the ball hits the ground. You're going to have to mark that. Okay, that's you know, we we can't just have that disappear. So, so that's def, that's the difference to, to, between a muff and a, a fumble potentially on that play. Jeff Williams, linebacker, times the snap perfectly. I'm watching a lot of the game film. And he tackles the quarterback before it can be determined if it's a pass or rush play. NCAA manual, would you rule that a sack? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I think Scott said this earlier. A lot of that is is going to be a judgment call um, by you. And I, and I think what uh, what the guys were saying, uh, what Sand and Scott are saying here about, you know, you can still probably get a sense of what the what the offensive line is doing, what the what the receivers are doing, and have an idea. I will say, generally speaking, in a, in a situation like that, I'm probably going to, you know, if, if the quarterback has the ball uh, and it happens right away I, and it looks like he's taking a, you know, a step back, I'm probably going to, uh, you know, lean on the side of uh, of a sack. I, I'm just probably going to lean that way. But it's it's really going to be a judgment call. It's probably going to be different in every situation. So um, if he times it that perfectly, um, the old uh, – I think it was the, the old LeVar Arrington play – uh, from many years ago. Um, if it's timed that perfectly, it really is. It's difficult. It's going to have to be a judgment call. I probably would give the benefit of the doubt to go towards sack, but uh, I think every score would kind of have to do that on their own judgment. And how would you like to see quarterback hurries uh, awarded? Um, one of our attendees asked, it's kind of the Wild West right now where there are some places yeah. that actually credit multiple hurries on a play. Yeah. So uh, my, well, yeah, I, I don't think I would do that. I, I think, and I know it's not in the stat manual and that's probably going to change here in the next year or so, but um, I, to me, a, a quarterback hurry is akin to a, a pass breakup. Um, and so a, a quarterback hurry should only occur on a, on an incomplete pass um, would be my interpretation of it. Um, and it should, it should essentially lead to the incomplete pass. And so the quarterback hurry would be the person who sort of put the pressure on on the quarterback, flush them out of the pocket, you know, uh, you know, r rushed them right up the middle and, and was the reason the quarterback got rid of it quickly um, or whatever. Now I know some people tend to think that like, if he threw it short because he was, uh, he was hurried um, instead of throwing it downfield where he wanted to, um, to me, that's just a check down. That's not a quarterback hurry in my mind. So um, I think a quarterback hurry really has to result in an incomplete pass. And it probably should be one person and not, not, a, it's not like an assistant situation. John had something to say too. Yeah, yeah, it's like a block shot and the ball goes in the basket. It's not yeah. blocking, right? But, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that. In fact, I think I used that uh, that very scenario just the other day. So, um, yeah, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't rule a block shot if the ball went in the basket. Same idea. Um, no quarterback hurry if the ball's completed. And and that's uh, you, you, I still have to tell my defense that like you know it's like if the ball's if it's not if it's completed can't be a hurry. It can't be a hurry. End of story. There is no hurry. Interception. Yeah, I've seen interceptions due to hurries. So you can yeah. do it. Yeah. You can do. You can award that. Um, but yeah, I, I, there's a couple. My defense is getting better because I look at them on a completed pass that probably would have been a hurry if not for a great catch, and they're about to say something, and then they go, "Oh yeah, he caught it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you can but, have a you can have a hurry, a breakup, and an interception all in one play, right? Sure, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But but the but the and, and a, or a hurry and a breakup, and but you wouldn't give a breakup if if the pass were completed, right? Like if 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 uh you know if the if the if the offensive lineman tipped it at the line of scrimmage, but it popped up and the running back caught it and gained five yards, you wouldn't give a pass breakup on that, right? right. Same idea to me on a, on a quarterback hurry, so. We have a little bit more than 10 minutes left. So I want to jump into some difficult, unusual play discussions. Um, and we'll start with everybody's favorite, which is turnovers. Um, can you guys talk about, and we'll start with, let's start with Scott this time. Um, really three areas that uh, often cause confusion. Sacks, sack fumbles, um, interceptions, um, and then the uh, ever favorite miscellaneous fumble. Yeah, so I think obviously the big thing right now is and this is where Jeff was talking about earlier, reading the stat manual, is the sack fumble and the sack. And to play rules say it has to be negative. Now, for guys like IRS, Dan, and me with the NFL, sometimes we got to remember that when we switch between games because we can do zero-yard sacks. But here in the NCAA, it's got to be negative. And so we see this a lot. Normally, the ball does end up going backwards behind the line of scrimmage. But in those rare cases where the ball is recovered in front of the line of scrimmage, it's no longer a sack fumble, but a rush fumble. So again, it's this is where having a scribe really helps as well as your input because your input is not, you're not thinking about, Hey, the ball went backwards. I'm going to call a sack fumble too right away. And then I'll correct it later. If I say sack fumble back at the 15, but recovered up to the 25 because the ball got batted around, I'm going to input it that way. And then I'm like, that doesn't make sense. I've got to gain on this place. So now I need to turn this into a rush play. Yeah. So just think about all the yard lines on every play. And again, we know sometimes with turnovers, you've got six voices yelling at you. 
So again, it's hearing the information you need. And this is where it helps with your crew setup is talking to your crew ahead of game. Tell me what information you want me to give you on a turnover play. There are four or five things I need to have. Again, we can figure out intended targets later, everything else. And then something else we see a lot with stack fumbles is we know two guys may get there at the same time. Only one guy knocks the ball out. So there's only one forced fumble on that play. And that's the person that's going to get credit for the sack fumble. I know sometimes coaches are like, well, they both got there. Well, it's like, that's fine. Only one player can actually knock the ball out of the quarterback's hands. And they're the person that's going to get credit for that fumble. And, and just so you know, the, the reasoning behind that, while they both may have made that, they both may have been the one that made a sack. Uh, essentially, once that ball's fumbled, that, that sort of that play, that sack, is terminated at that point. And that's why it's just that one person. Um, and, and so that's why you wouldn't get like an assisted sack in a sack fumble situation. And again, I like how to also think going back with sacks is think about really when you're putting two players in, did that second player actually contribute to the sack? If that first player's got him wrapped up and then the second player comes in, but he was the quarterback was never getting out, give the first guy the full credit. Because he wasn't going to get out just because the second guy came in and knocked him over. If this guy's not going to get out of the pressure, give the first player the full sack. What about a partially blocked punt? This one's always difficult for me, again, because it's you have to determine, and it's hard to determine right in the moment, did it fully get blocked and did that substantially affect the punt distance? Because, again, I can get my fingertips on it, but the ball still goes 40 yards. That's no longer a punt blocked. Right. Now, if I got my fingertips on it and it ends up going out of bounds 10 yards, now I'm probably giving a punt block. But you got to look at the whole situation, what was happening, and did it substantially affect it? And that's what I like to do, Stan. I don't know if you look at it differently. No, actually, we had a play this weekend at UCLA where the, uh, it was a very poor punt. It was like about a 20-yarder, and the, the oncoming defender – I didn't think got a piece of the ball, but it was close enough for me to ask the guys, did, did he touch it or not? To, to, or was it just a bad punt? We all agreed. My original thought was, yeah, it was just a bad punt, but you know, you gotta, you know, I'm always looking for, you know, and then, and then what was funny is we were discussing, well, how do you stat that? And I knew how to stat it, but the two guys that I was talking to didn't. So I had them look up the rule and, and there it was. And I was like, so we're, we're always using those kind of in-game things like, well, if it was a blocked punt, how would you stat it? Mm -hmm. Okay. Or if partially blocked punt in this case, you know, so, you know, I think coaches like to do like rain practices. So this is perfect because we may play in the rain. Same thing with statisticians. You think you've got something that actually didn't. It's a good idea to practice. How, how would you have handled mm -hmm. that play had it, had it actually mm -hmm. been a partially blocked punt? you know, kind of thing. So. And and the question we get on that a lot, I just so you guys know, I mean, the question we get is like, what's the yardage, right? Like, like Scott said, well, if it went 40 yards, I might not give it because, you know, it wouldn't have affected the distance that much, but it's hard. It, it's really impossible to give a yardage because you could have a ball that, you know, it got blocked. So now it's end over in, it lands 10 yards down the field and rolls 20 yards and it's a 30 yard punt. It, was that, was that block? Did that affect? couple other uh, uh, topics that are certainly uh, relevant. Recording tackles, unassisted versus assisted. John Panner. Yeah, you know, I I just want the person, if it, you know, as, as Scott just mentioned, if one person was re really the responsible and the other person just jumped on the pile, you don't have to include that second person, you know. So I think that's just your judgment and and, and really who, who caused – was there a fingertip trip, you know, before he was covered by a big pile of people? So that can happen too. So. And that's where that's where your binoculars come really kind of come in handy, by the way. So because there's a pile of humanity, you know, in there at the one yard line, you know, you just got to do the best you can with those binoculars. Jeff Williams question in the Q&A. So just to clarify, if a sack fumbles recovered at the line of scrimmage or ahead of it, then you just have to go and score it as a rush recovery with no sack. Or is that correct? He's not here. But I'll I'll, hand, I'll handle that one for him. Yes. So if the if the ball gains if it's at the line of scrimmage or plus yardage, 
It's no longer a sack. Right. It, it's just, you know, it's, and I'm already hearing the defense coordinator yelling at me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get it, yeah. but uh, the, the fact is, you know, if there, if it's plus yardage, you, it, you can't have a sack that's plus yardage right. or even in an NCAA or even zero yards. Okay. So uh, for the definition of a sack for NCA standards is there's a loss. No loss, no sack. And, and that includes, there's no such thing as a half-yard loss either. Correct. Coaches, coaches are like, oh, wait, he lost a half-yard. You can see it on the field. I go, who, who, is somebody leading the country this year with 1,214 and a half yards? No, there's no half-yards in stats, you know. So That is correct. <laughs> and that's one of the big differences between the NFL and college. In the NFL, if you don't if you don't gain yardage, it's a sack. If z- there is no zero yards, zero yards is a sack in the NFL. Um, we're going to wrap up in penalties in a moment, but we have a couple uh, other questions I just want to get to. One attendee wants to know, he had a play where the offense was on their own one-yard line, and the center snapped the ball over to punter's head and straight out of bounds through the end zone. Obviously, it's a safety, but you want to talk about how scoring that. Let's go with, uh, let's go with Scott in this one. In this case, I'm probably just going to go team rush. For the negative yardage and credit to safety because again you, you can't give a punt no punt happens you're not going to give a pass so your only option is to give a team rush yep. yeah that's actually Another... pretty straight for, for, forward one the bad center snap that the quarterback punter can't handle you, you are now in, you're in team rush uh zone at that point so stan while i have you there's another question from yep. one of our attendees there's a lot of plays such as a QB sneak, where we can't see who should be awarded the tackle. And that's something we all encounter, obviously. Sure. One look from the press box live sometimes doesn't lead to the right outcome. Outside relying on a TV angle, do SIDs, college or NFL, go back through the games to make those defensive corrections? I'll let you answer the college one because I can tell yeah, I'll, uh, I'll those attending handle, I'm not that. I'm not doing the NFL anymore, so I'm going to let you handle that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I every once in a while get a stat correction request from the visiting team a, a day or two after, but it's pretty rare. And especially on that play, I think they're going to go with whoever we, you know, went with. Um, I don't think I've ever had a visiting SID on a, on a quarterback sneak say, no, it wasn't. And, and almost always it's going to be two people. We're going to split that uh, mm-hmm. almost certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be two assists on, on that play. So um, just an offshoot of that, at UCLA had a blowout win this week, and they ran the ball, and the other team ran the ball. Both teams wanted to go home. My my defense court uh, stat person was really upset because they were splitting tackles right and left. And I said, well, running plays tend to lead themselves to multiple assists. Pass mm-hmm. plays tend to be, you know, unassisted. And I was like, and they both teams just ran the heck out of the ball. So I'm not telling you to do it that way, but just the nature of the game is mm-hmm. – Running the ball between the tackles, you're probably going to have assist assist on on a lot of plays. So you can handle the NFL. And I will say, <laughs> I'll say in the NFL, uh, you can be rest assured they're reviewing every single play. We'll get a, a report every single Wednesday that discusses all the changes made in games around the league, and you don't want to see your name on that report. Um, I'm thankful in Week One against the Bills, we were not listed at all, so no changes <laughs> were made. But they'll, I mean everything can be changed and we get graded. We actually get grades. The closest to zero, the better. Um, you don't want, we had a 0.25 in week number one. There you go. you want to have as close to zero as possible, but they will. Listen, if you miss a tackle, they're going to change it. They'll sometimes confer with Elias if it's a tricky play, which is actually very helpful to have a second opinion on it. Um, but, you know, players' contracts, gambling, fantasy football, there's so many nuances now. Uh, where we have to be right. And again, Stan said, we don't have any kind of ego with this. We, we just want it to be right. So if it is changed, um, you know, then it's changed and that's the right call. Um, before we get to the penalty topic and then we'll wrap up, um, and an attendee asked, how do you handle, oh boy, Stan, how do you handle lateral passes like something we saw in the Miami Miracle? All right. Um Well, all right. Uh, refresh my memory. I'm sorry. Uh, so, are we talking like a, a a a lateral pass, and then the receiver throws it? Essentially, is is that what we're thinking? I, I think think it's like five or six laterals. Yeah, five or six. Oh, okay. I got you. I yeah. got you. All right. Yeah. 
Um, so literally, literally, you know, normally in those kind of places, you sort of know it's coming, right? Um, we always have a piece of paper. I've got a pencil and I'm just, I'm going to start barking off every pitch where, you know, who had it, where they caught it. And we're just running it all down and we're just taking in the play. Um, and then we're going to go back through and try to figure out how to put that all back into, into the system. But we're not, we're not statting that one live into, into the computer at that point, that one, we're going to count every pitch and, and then, you know, I'm blessed division one. I'm going to get a chance to see a replay and verify some of those spots. So that's normally something I'm really good at. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, but those close plays you should know are coming. I mean, it's, it's so be prepared for it. I mean, have, have everybody ready to, to, to jot the information down and, and call it out. That's the thing is be ready. You know, you don't take extra points for granted. Assume that it's going to get blocked. Right. So it's when you when you make, you assume that the kickers never missed an extra point. Well, that's the one that's going to get blocked. Right. So you, you need to be awake for the, for the play, I guess I would say so. And especially for new statisticians, something to remember is on those plays, you either have a completed lateral or you have a fumble. There's right. no such thing as an incomplete lateral. So if the guy drops the ball, it's going to be a fumble and not a lateral to that next player. Right. And then the fumble adds a whole set of circumstances that you don't <laughs> want to have to deal with, but be ready. Yeah. And as Dan said, just tell everybody on the crew that it's coming just in case they're not focused on it. And verbalize to the crew, be ready for a lateral. Yeah. All right, yeah. last quick topic, and then we will wrap up penalties. I know this trips up a lot of people. Um, John, determining does the play count, uh, where you mark the penalty from, um, is the distance of the penalty assessed correctly? Your thoughts? Yeah, are you using stat crew presto, or are you using NCAA live stats? Know your program and know how they want you to enter the stats. Enter, enter the penalties that way because they are they are different. Uh, the new the new refer the genius live stats. You just put the plays that happen and the, and then it automatically puts the penalty back there. But if you're doing stat crew, okay, then the returns only to the 28 and the penalties back to the 18. You just have to know in the program what it what it needs from you. Stan Scott, any other uh, thoughts on penalties? Well, I think you're, they you're, just go ahead, Stan. I was going to just say, does a play count? Like if it's holding down the field on a run and the running back's going to get five yards and then, you know, the penalty is now pushing it back, you know, 10. Yeah, that play counts to the degree the running back's going to get five yards in this example. So then that play stands. If the if everything's happening at the line of scrimmage, the term we use is the play is nullified. It doesn't take place. So you got to know where the spot of the foul is. And I'm going to defer to Scott on the rest of this. Yeah, and then the only other thing I really want to add is, and we're seeing it a lot more this year with unsportsmanlike conducts, tauntings, targetings, is understanding did the play count and where are we enforcing this? So a lot of times, listen for that referee cue if they're mic'd up after the play. That means the play counts and we move on. We've seen times where there's an incomplete pass and then the defender, happy that he thinks he did something, decides to taunt the receiver. Well, now the incomplete pass is done. The play's over, but now I've got a 15-yard penalty. Well, that play counts. The pass is incomplete counts. Mm -hmm. The receiver gets a target. But now I've got a penalty, and I'm going to enforce it that next down. And then, then while that should result in a first down, there could be other penalty types where it's not going to be a first down. So just understanding what's also an automatic first down versus what's not and making sure your down and distance is correct for that next play. Some plays can have two first downs. You know, the running back gets 11 yards and then a late hit on him. And now suddenly you've got a rushing first down and a first down by penalty. So that's that happens almost every game, frankly. Uh, it's pretty. You know, I could almost count every. It would be rare for there to be a game where there aren't two or two first downs on a play. That happens a lot. And 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 I would I would just add and Scott kind of touched on it too. And first of all, I apologize if you guys <laughs> that I was off for just a few minutes. Uh, we were talking about technology. Technology got me. So, uh, <laughs> but with that in mind, uh, <laughs> with that in mind, the uh, Scott touched on it. But like uh, listening to the official, what they say was it? You know, does it go back to the original spot and get marked off there? Is it, is it marked off from the end of the play? Uh, you know, or, or things like that. And and we talked about it. You, sometimes you can't hear what the official says. Um, related to that. So again, knowing, kind of having an understanding of the rules and what happens 
when there is a, uh, you know, a targeting penalty, it usually is going to be after the play. Not always. Sometimes it's part of the incomplete pass, right? But but sometimes, a lot of times, that that dead ball, unsportsmanlike, is is going to be after the play. So just kind of having an understanding of of the rules uh, of the game and knowing that that is is really helpful as well. So again, you get a lot of that from experience. I get that. Uh, but just having some of those basic understandings going in is is really, really helpful. Well, guys, that's all the time we have for today. I want to give a big thank you to all of our presenters today. Scott Fishman, Stan Grinch, John Painter, and Jeff Williams. We appreciate you guys for all your discussion today and the insights. Um, again, this webinar is being recorded. It will be available for anybody who missed it or wants to watch it again on demand. So please share that information with your colleagues. We also encourage you to check our website, collegesportscommunicators.com, for updated information on what's on tap for his CSC programming and continuing education. Coming up in October, we'll be offering a volleyball stats and rules session and also a session on using social media data and analytics. So stay tuned for those dates to be announced. That's all the time we have today. We thank everybody for joining us and be well, everybody.